for many, uh, Dr. Jack Cruz needs no introduction, but in case you don't know who he is, he has a very unique uh, perspective on health as a uh, oral surgeon turned neurosurgeon. He has the medical experience like uh, not many others, but his take on the quantum aspects with sunlight and frequency and water are things that uh, a lot of other people either don't understand or can't quite grasp. I think he does a good job kind of getting into his work. So welcome, Dr. Jack Cruz. Welcome to the Sewing Prosperity Podcast with host Logan Duvall. This father of four is an Arkansas successful small business owner whose world was turned upside down with the cancer diagnosis of his then five-year-old son. As Napoleon Hill famously stated, every adversity Every failure, every heartbreak carries with it the seed of an equivalent or greater benefit. Come and join us on our journey to create a Blue Zone community with a focus on a holistic approach to anti-cancer, regenerative farming, and strengthening local economies. Dr. Cruz, thank you uh, for joining us today. Um, it's, uh, you know, I regretfully say that I have not come across your work. Uh, it, it's relatively recent, and I've been diving in, trying to catch up as much as I possibly can. But I feel like you have connected dots that really resonate with me, especially with the El Salvador aspects uh, of what what you've came out and said. Uh, for for me, I own a little farmer's market in Arkansas in Little Rock. And my oldest son was diagnosed with stage four cancer when he was five. Uh, he's now nine. And so as as we dive in, I feel like the food uh, matters a whole lot. The food system matters a whole lot. And just continue to learn and have more questions as we dive in. So what I wanted to visit with you is how can we build out this food system and especially use it in a way to get rid of cancer or chronic diseases? You can't, because that's not, um, that's really not the basis of the problem. Food is like sixth on the list. Um, sixth. It's not, it's not in the top five. And I have an axiom that I teach my, my people about that you never focus on a B, C, or D when the A is available. So the thing that you really need to understand is all cancers are mitochondrial diseases at their core. They're, that means they're thermodynamic. Um, now, food plays a role, don't get me wrong, uh, because food is functionally a thermodynamic package of sunlight via photosynthesis that comes to us. Um, but is it the cause of broken engines, which is behind most cancers? Now, childhood cancer is even... Uh, a little bit more difficult to unpack because it's not the child that really has the problem. It's the sperm and the egg it came from. So that's you and your wife. And that's called transgenerational epigenetics. And it means that there was changes in the germline that occurred that set up the conditions of existence for it to occur in your child. Now, if that child is dropped into an environment that actually is further stealing you know, thermodynamic energy away from it, which the food could be part of it, but it, it's not the key feature why the engines are broken with to begin with. So 
I think it's wholly unsatisfactory for a guy like you to focus in on absolutely the wrong thing because you'll never be effective. It's kind of like having your pickup truck stuck in the mud and thinking that sticking wood underneath it is going to, you know, get the truck out of the mud. It's just not going to work. And unfortunately, that's where most of centralized medicine is right now, you know, on this very topic. And if you've listened to any of the stuff, you know, that have come out of my mouth and actually on social media lately, like especially the, the Rick Rubin RFK podcast, I gave you a pretty good idea in that podcast about the soft tissue cancers and where they're linked to. And it wouldn't surprise me, especially a guy like you, I would actually say you and your wife and the baby should probably get tested for SV40. And you'll probably be pretty surprised that you got it. And then you'll say, well, how did I get this? And that, that's a question that Uncle Jack can't answer for you. <clears throat> I don't know what type of cancer your son had, but if it's a soft tissue cancer, there's a pretty good chance he's going to test positive for SV40. And this story uh, with cancer, as I laid out in the Bobby Kennedy podcast, goes all the way back to the 1940s with this lady whose name was Sarah Stewart, who's an MD-PhD from the University of Chicago. She was in the NIH, one of the probably the most brilliant doctors they've ever had, but she was looked at as an outcast because she believed that viruses were the cause of cancer. See, you believe or you led with the idea that food was. Uh, I'm going to tell you that she was more correct than, than you are about food. Viruses clearly do cause it. We know that for a variety of different cancers they do. But the real story that she developed with Mary Stewart is the viruses that were co-infected on the polio uh, virus when we decided to make the vaccine uh, after the FDR, March of Dimes and all that. These simian viruses were grown on the polio virus stock. And that's how we got co-infected with SV40. And that created a huge problem in the NIH in the early 50s. That led to something called the Cutter Incident. And uh, the doctor who was the first head of the National Cancer Society was one of the people that ran that bioweapons lab on Magazine Street that was tied to it. And he was given the directive by both the FBI, CIA, and actually the vice president of the United States, who at that time was Richard Nixon, with Eisenhower to start the war on cancer. And eventually when uh, Nixon was made president in 68, uh, the war on cancer was formally organized in 71, the same year that we you know, got off the gold standard. What people don't realize from 1971 to right now, we have had absolutely zero impact in most cancers. Um, that's not to say that within certain cancers, like for example, childhood leukemias, we've done some good stuff. But when you look at the totality of what we've done, cancer now is the biggest business in centralized medicine. And ultimately, the architects um, of the centralized system, which unfortunately, the Pentagon, the DOD, HHS, they're all in the same uh, part of government now. This occurred during your entire life, but also it really occurred in my, my generation's life, the boomers. People don't understand where this comes. Like everybody wants to fight the war on cancer, but it's really hard to fight something when you're looking in the wrong place. And where does 
the NIH budget and the FDA budget really go. It goes to RNA and DNA. And it turns out the genome that matters the most in cancer is the mitochondrial genome. That gets 1% of federal dollars from taxpayers to study. And, and that's been true even past 1971. Now, I can't give the government uh, a real pain in the ass about that because mitochondrial medicine was, hasn't really developed probably until the 80s. You know, that's under the auspices of a guy named Doug Wallace, who's at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. And if you don't know anything about Doug Wallace, especially with your child, you need to, you know, learn a little bit about his thesis and what he said, you know, publicly. Um, I believe that uh, he's one of the guys that probably should uh, win a Nobel Prize for what he's done and what he's found. But ultimately, we're never going to get to the source of the problem until we start looking in the right genome. And big pharma and the industrial military healthcare complex don't want to do that. They want to continue looking in the RNA DNA one. Why? Because it creates $4.3 trillion that they can steal to run their forever wars. You know, and this is the reason why I said in the podcast that you have a war, a 20 year war in Afghanistan. You have a 20, you're going to have a long war in the Ukraine where the bio labs were that Fauci moved. Uh, and same thing in Wuhan. We, we now know that the, the bioweapons labs were there. We know that the DOD, the CIA, and the FBI were actually involved in that. I mean, it's no longer, you know, conspiracy theory. And when I told my members three years ago that the reason not to take the jab was because I felt what was in the Cutter 1.0 event, which was the SV40, would actually wind up in Cutter 2.0, which was the messenger RNAs. I explained to them why. If you go and read the patents, um, both Moderna and Pfizer specifically, you'll note that this genetic modification uh, requires the DNA plasmid to get past the nuclear membrane. The only thing that allows that to happen routinely um, in molecular biology is the SV40 promoter. And if you look at what especially Pfizer did, and you read the legalese that I've talked about in um, the COVID revealed movie that we did, it was a documentary that I did with Robert uh, Malone, who is a co-inventor of messenger RNA, and, and Dr. McCullough, who's a cardiologist, has become pretty famous going after the spike protein side of the story. Um, this part of the story that I focused in on kind of surprised a lot of people. I focused in on the legalese behind the two legal definitions for the, the vaccine. And because there was two definitions for the vaccine, I realized that one would be tested by the FDA. That, of course, would have no plasma, no SV40 in it. But then the one that they would use on the public likely would not be the same vaccine. And that's the reason why there was two legal definitions. Uh, and it confused a lot of people. Um, I don't know how many people actually understood what I said in that movie, but I think my members did because I warned them that I felt that this story was going to come back and bite us all in the ass if the jab came out. It made no sense 
to me how they were going to get this technology through if they weren't using the SV40 promoter to get through. And effectively, if you know anything about SV40, just so you know, because you got a son that's got cancer, this is really important for you to know. They're trying to whitewash this history. When they found out that I was meeting with Rick and Bobby Kennedy on October 25th, so you know what day it is today. We're not talking a long time ago. We're talking literally 20 days ago. All of a sudden, the Wikipedia page for SV40 was changed. And it's been constantly changed, you know, since that podcast has gone live. Why? Because they want you, your son, your wife, the general public to think that it's normal for SV40 to be in the human genome. And it's not. SV stands for simian virus. Don't forget that. And just because it's a tool that molecular biologists use doesn't mean it's supposed to be in our genome. And here's the real take home that they don't want you to know. When SV40 is in its normal host, which is the African green monkey, which is what I mentioned to Bobby Kennedy on the podcast, it doesn't cause cancer. But when you put it in any other animal, mammal, it does. It's capable of doing that. And um, the work that was done by Sarah Stewart and Mary Sherman in New Orleans that I highlighted in that podcast actually figured out how to concentrate the effect. Normally, you know, back in the 50s, when these ladies were working on this process and in the 60s, especially from 60 to 64, we did not know what the intercalation rate of SB40 was into the normal genome. We now know from data that came in the 80s that it's about 7%. So it's not really high. That's the reason why a lot of centralized scientists today, like Philip Buchholz, who has now blocked me because of this story that we're talking about. Um, they didn't know about any of this stuff because, remember, this was a CIA bioweapons lab that was never published in the literature. But the interesting thing was back in these ladies' days when they were doing it, they had no idea what the intercalation rate of SV40 is, but Sarah Stewart knew that SV40 was ridiculously good at actually causing cancers. And the reason why, it allowed DNA plasmids to get past the nuclear membrane into the RNA and DNA, and then it could cause somatic changes. Now, I, as, as you said, you're a simple guy from Arkansas. I don't expect you to know all the science, but I do expect you to fact check the stuff that I'm saying. And what you need to know is that the SV40 promoter, which is important in cancer, ties to a gene that you probably have heard with your son. It's called P53. P53 is what I call the protector of the genome. SV40 destroys the protector of the genome. And what happens ultimately, back to the mitochondrial story, it destroys apoptosis. What is apoptosis? Apoptosis is cell suicide. So when you have bad engines, which clearly your son had the first five, six years of his life, Whatever tissue he got the cancer in, that's where the problem was. He wasn't able to get rid of that. Why? Because the heteroplasmy rate, which is Doug Wallace's term, was too high in the tissue that he got cancer. So he couldn't get rid of his bad engines. So what's the default state? The default state is cancer. And believe it or not, you look at cancer as a bad connotation. Believe it or not, cancer actually is a positive connotation because it's a survivability issue, meaning it's so defective 
that um, the body is doing whatever it can to try to survive. And that's the survival mechanism that we have. Um, the key that people don't realize is that apoptosis is predominantly controlled by UV light. So if you go back and listen to the other Rick Rubin podcast I did with Huberman, uh, I told you back then about the onion skin experiment when they split the onions and they found that UV light controls mitogenesis in the cell cycle. Well, that's exactly what controls apoptosis. That's what's missing in your son. But you know when you take your son to the oncologist or the pediatrician, what do they tell you? Keep him out of the sun. The sun is toxic. When it's exactly the opposite effect. So the advice that you and your wife have been given about your child, A, they didn't tell you the truth. You don't know shit about SV40. And I don't know if that's, in fact, the cause of your son's cancer. But I can tell you, is it worthwhile to get tested? Because most soft tissue cancers are tied to this. Like, I'll tell you this story. I didn't, I think... I don't know if I said it to Bobby or it got it hit the editing floor, but uh, there's a surgeon who I used to know pretty well in the 90s, early 90s, who had the largest uh, collection of mesothelioma cancers. That's cancer that most of you guys probably know that has been tied to asbestos, you know, and there's been huge lawsuits. In fact, the companies that made asbestos in the, in the 50s, 60s, and 70s all got put out of business because of these claims. What people don't know is that SV40 was in every single one of this guy's um, tumors that he resected from people. He had over 400. In fact, even a PhD researcher, I think it was in 92, 93, went out and tested all of these mesothelioma tumors and found every single one of them was infested with SV40. Now, you would say, why would the government or trial attorneys be okay blaming asbestos? Because they don't want you to know the story that I just told you about SV40 that I just released to, to Rick and that I just released to Bobby Kennedy. Why? Um, just think about your son's case. I told you the day that I did the podcast, they're already changing the SV40 Wikipedia page. In other words, they're trying to do the same thing with this story that they did in Cover One. Like if you go back and look at the FDA uh, and the NIH website from 1950 through 55, you will notice that there's hardly any information about this time. Why? Because when the government found out about what actually happened uh, with SV40, they found out through a whistleblower named Bernice Eddy that Bobby Kennedy talked about. Bernice Eddy. Korea was destroyed for telling the truth. So this new guy that's out on the internet now, Kevin McKiernan, who I highlighted in my talk with Bobby, he is the modern day version of Bernice Eddy. He, for a guy like you and a guy like your son, you need to follow him on Twitter. You need to thank him because the only way that you may know whether this cancer is linked back to that is to have, you know, your son's tumor type. Like, if there's any tissue out there, I would actually even tell you, I bet you Kevin, if you contacted him, probably would run the test on the tumor and and test it for you to see if that's, in fact, the case. And the reason why this is important, remember what Mary Sherman did in, in this uh, whole jazz. Sarah was kind of like Einstein. She was the theoretical biologist 
who came up with the idea that viruses can cause this. Mary Sherman was the experimentalist in that bioweapons lab that actually proved that she was right. And then she found out that electromagnetic radiation from the Linac machine actually increased the intercalation rate uh, into the genome. So the question you've got to ask yourself now, and it's not just you, but it's everybody with cancer, is this the reason why cancer is truly explosive? Because now we've built an information economy that uses other parts of the electromagnetic spectrum, not like a Linac machine, but kind of. And when people, you know, think that this leap that I'm making is so big, I casually remind them of the U.S. federal government's finding in 2018 that they found that lab rodents, meaning mammals, nocturnal mammals, all got cancer from 2G, 3G, and 4G, you know, radiation. And the reason why I highlighted that information when the federal government paid for this bill. It's called the NTP toxicity study. It came out November 1st, 2018. Again, you can fact check me and look at it. the fact that these animals got these cancers. We don't know if these animals actually had SV40 in them, you know, because of, of what has gone on in the past. Nobody is asking these fundamental questions. In fact, you started this podcast with me because I know you wanted to talk about food, and you can see that I derailed you really quickly. Why? I don't want you to think that food's not an issue, because remember, GMOs also have miRNA that actually is capable of changing uh, the code of DNA, but it needs something to get past that nuclear membrane. See, if it doesn't get past the nuclear membrane, it really can't cause cancer. Now, several people, Bobby included, and I think Stephanie Cenef's another one, believe that glyphosate and some of the pesticides actually can help that process get through. I have not seen great data that make me believe that. And that's the reason why in the podcast, when Bobby talked about 1989 seems like an inflection year, when all hell broke, broke loose in the United States, uh, what he, he, he likes to blame it on you know the the vaccine schedule and uh, and the pesticide issue because he's a you know he's an attorney that sued these companies. I casually pointed out to him after the podcast. I said, "Tell me in 1989 who was using the internet? Only people in DARPA, only people in DOD, only people in college. I mean, even AOL at that time was not big. But what happened from '89 afterwards? We all began using." massive amounts of non-native EMF to communicate, kind of like you and I are doing right now. So if you understand the historical story that I'm trying to lay out for you, is that it seems that electromagnetic radiation increases the intercalation rate of SV40, and now SV40 went from the vaccines into the blood supply into a lot of different things. If you've ever gotten a blood transfusion, if you've ever gotten you know, say the wrong polio vaccine or say, you know, your wife had this or you had it, but you didn't know, you know, because nobody's talking about this. I mean, I can tell you the Cutter incident was wiped from the medical archives. I sit down and talk to young medical students about it all the time. They're like, how come we didn't learn about this in medical school? I said, there's a reason. They don't want you to know about it. And now um, it is the biggest driver 
of profits in centralized healthcare. And that's good because if you think about what happened after the Patriot Act, uh, after the Patriot Act, um, basically um, doing gain-of-function research became illegal in the United States, which is why the DOD and DARPA gave a 67% boost to Dr. Fauci so that he would move them offshore. And what did he do? He moved them to Ukraine, he moved them to China. And that's when you hear the story about UNC and EcoHealth Alliance and working with the Chinese. If you don't think that the CIA and FBI had a sign off on that, and remember, after the Patriot Act, didn't we put HHS on the same level as the DOD, the Pentagon? Homeland Security controls all this stuff. So you begin to see the tentacles of the octopus that's actually strangling the public health. And this thing has gone um, really, really badly. But they're trying to do the same thing with this story now so that guys like you and the public don't realize that the, the, the real epidemic of soft tissue cancers predominantly was caused by your government. Okay? That's the truth. And Nixon knew it. And Nixon was best friends with Austria. And that's why they set the war on cancer up. The problem was they had no earthly idea what really Sarah Stewart and Mary Sherman found. It's that non-ADVMF drives mitochondrial disease. Mitochondrial disease is the basis of where most cancers come from. Um, and I don't want anybody to think that somatic point mutations can't cause cancer because they can. Um, but when you look at the totality of, of the cancer issue, um, to say that it's not linked to SV40 is so disingenuous, it's not funny. And, you know, people now are out there realizing uh, that this story needs to be solved. And I, I have no illusions. I don't think, I think a guy like you is much more likely to care about this because you have a, a kid with cancer. But I'm just going to talk to some of you, like your friends that you have in Arkansas. This isn't going to affect the way they vote. This isn't going to affect their opinions. In fact, the thing that's really going to affect this is the other side of the equation that I talked to Bobby about, which was Bitcoin and decentralized networks and freedom of money. Because it turns out you need to understand what's the thermodynamic driver of, of the war on cancer is actually that these guys know they caused it. They want to make people sick and because um, they want to take that money rehypothecated to run their forever wars. And that pile of money, I mean, just in the United States last year, it's $4.3 trillion. Um, that's what's got to be taken away. And that's why I asked Bobby, I said, tell me why you came out for Bitcoin. And he said, basically, you can't rehypothecate money. He gave the example of the Canadian truckers and what happened there, which I thought was a great answer for people who are in Bitcoin. But that's not going to be a good answer for a guy like you in Arkansas with a child with cancer. I need you to understand why Bitcoin is almost like chemotherapy for your son. Because it takes the power away from the oncologic powerhouse um, so that the rehypothecation of money is there. They're not interested in curing cancer. They're interested in managing cancer. And it's very, very profitable for them to do that. And if they were serious, they'd be looking in the mitochondrial genome, not in the nuclear genome.
So let, let me let me ask you this. So Lander, uh, my little boy, he was five at the time, stage four Wilms. So that's a kidney cancer that metastasized to his uh, lymph nodes and chest wall. And looking back, a lot of things that we did make sense. Now, I did, uh, you know, change diet substantially. I got into Dr. Thomas Seafried's work and understanding from the mitochondrial uh, side of it, as well as I know, uh, I don't know how I feel about him anymore, but uh, Dave Asprey got me into the red light. So I was using the red light, like a juve unit, grounding. He was outside playing in the sunshine and uh, barefoot. We just, you know, played. He ran around. He got to be a little boy. I never let him think that he was sick. And so looking back and connecting dots based off what you're saying and you have been saying makes a whole lot of sense to me. But what I want to kind of understand on that that turning around side because he's he's been cancer free for a couple years now dr cruz but i don't i want to make sure that we stay that way right like how do i keep applying these things so where 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 do i focus it's all about redox power see that's the interesting thing about the viral vector of cancer when you actually understand truly what sarah stewart is saying is that when you recapture the ability to control both apoptosis and autophagy, for example, what you had mentioned that Asprey brought to your table was about red light. Red light controls autophagy. That's not really the big defect in cancer. It's more apoptosis. Remember I told you it's UV light. Well, what do mitochondria make? What, what's the real antidote for your son? UV light, because tryptophan is the, the base amino acid. Uh, that's made from melatonin. It has an absorption spectrum between 200 and 400 nanometers. That is what's created in a mitochondria when mitochondrial metabolism, which is what Seafried is trying to explain to you, works. The key is what light is made from mitochondrial metabolism in your son. Prior to him being cured, it likely wasn't enough uh, UV light. So it goes back to the story that I told you about with Uberman, about the onion skin. What you need, you need UV light to control uh, mitosis in cells. And that's where the story comes in. That's why guys like Siegfried, guys like Asprey, I have problems with them. Why? Because they're selling half truths to people, not the whole story. And what people need to understand is that biophysics controls the boxcars in biochemistry. And the biophysics that we're talking about here is really light. It's electromagnetism. And I want you to understand what the whole purpose of the LINAC was in the work that these ladies were doing is they were increasing the intercalation rate. Your son is growing up in an environment where that radiation ain't going away. So your question to me was, what does he need to focus in on? He needs to focus in on redox. Well, redox power is tied to how much UV light and how much infrared A light he gets. Now I want you to do a hard stop and think about what the oncologist, the pediatricians, and all the doctors tell you about the sun. You understand why he'll continue to always be at risk. Because if he doesn't understand the story of melanin, vitamin D, melatonin, the control of apoptosis, and mitochondrial biology, like I just gave you five layers to this onion. Uh, Absolutely. You will never get the appropriate answer to help him. And he needs to realize that he has to run his life 
So his redox pair stays high because what does that mean effectively? It means that his heteroplasmy rate will stay low in the kidney where the tumor eventually was. Why? Because your assumption, if you're following along this story I'm giving you, is that the heteroplasmy rate in your son's kidneys were much higher than you even knew, probably above 70% when he was born. So that's a huge effect. So that means the amount of UV light that he gets probably from his clavicles to his butt, that's where your kidneys are back here. He needs to be constantly tanned there. So wearing a shirt for him, probably not a smart thing. And he always wants to have a good tan because that's the thing that's going to keep this cancer likely at bay. Now, let's say he becomes, he doesn't follow in his father's footsteps and he becomes a, a coder or a computer engineer and he's working in a basement all day doing code. I worry for you, son. If he becomes a radiologist and is sitting in front of a computer screen all day, I worry for your son. Why? The worry is not really my opinion. It's I happen to know the work of Sarah Stewart and Mary Sherman really well when it's tied to this story. And I also know the work of Doug Wallace extremely well. Why? Because we need to keep apoptosis and autophagy, the efficiency of both of those change programs for the mitochondria at optimal levels to keep your son healthy. So in other words, the environment that he chooses to live in is going to be the single biggest thing for his long-term recovery. Because remember what I told you, cancer in and of itself, it's really a metabolic problem, but the metabolism in the mitochondria is what creates the light show that controls all the biochemistry that's in the cell. That's the part you don't get told from Siegfried. It's the part you don't get told from Asprey. Why? Because to be honest with you, they don't know. I mean, Dave really doesn't know. He's just a marketer that's trying to make money. Um, and, you know, just like a, a squirrel catches a nut every so often, that's kind of what Dave has done. Um, Siegfried is is got it right because he's focusing on the mitochondria. But again, he's a boxcar biochemistry guy. He has no earthly idea how light controls these things in the body. So, for example, and I'll give you an example for, for you to, to think about. The way mitochondrial biology works, small molecular weight things affect the mitochondria and change the kaleidoscope of biophotons that are made uh, in the mitochondria, and that changes the signaling. The, the smallest thing that does that is an atom of hydrogen called deuterium. It's, it's got an extra proton, I should say an extra neutron on the proton. That alone can change the signaling in a mitochondria. That's a very small atomic weight thing. But what are some of the things that you probably know of in your son's case? You've probably heard of single amino acid um, polypeptides. That's called the SAP or a SNP. SNP is single nucleotide polymorphisms. What you probably don't know is those modifications are called uh, CNN terminus changes. CNN terminus changes on proteins actually are capable of also changing the mitochondrial signaling to change the biophoton spectrum that's inside your body. That actually is the key to understanding how to take care of your child. So I'm going to give you another for example. Um, you said that Asprey was important and getting you turned on to red light. Well, he turned you on to Juve because Dave was making affiliate money from Juve. 
What you didn't know is that the Juve light was the poorest choice of a light that you could use. Why? Because it has a high flicker rate. Well, that high flicker rate actually is a problem for your son. I'm a big fan of red light for cancer. I can tell you that. But I don't want you to use a high flicker rate light. Why? It goes back to the story that I just told you 30 minutes ago about Sarah Stewart, that anytime we're using uh, non-native EMF in ways that nature doesn't use, we're increasing the intercalation rate of that SV40 promoter or the problem that was based in your son's cells to increase the likelihood that something can happen to him down the road. And you know better than probably anybody. I mean, I've taken care of kids with Wilms tumor, so I know a lot about this cancer. This, this cancer has the propensity to come back even after long periods of time. So the reason I'm sharing this with you is your son, his decision-making probably needs to be colored with this redox story for the rest of his life. He needs to be really careful about the things he puts into his body because this is where your idea in and around foods important. You know, do, do I fully support your belief that your child should not have any GMO foods? Yeah, now you know the reason why, because of these CNN terminus changes. Your son is much more likely to have a problem with that actually at the kidney level. Um, but per se, these are not um, the causes of the cancer. All they are is the, the lighting of the dynamite that actually can do it. The dynamite problem is the key issue that's present, and that's what you need to focus in on. And I know that this science is really hard for you know the lay public to understand, but that's that's actually why the paradigm smiles, because they know that nobody's gonna sit down and parse this. They're not gonna come down to Jack Cruz's level. They're gonna go and listen, you know, to the idiots on the internet that tell you, you know, just don't eat this, don't eat that, and everything will be a-okay. And to me, that's not a good enough story for someone like your son. That, that to me, well, is um, I, I don't feel like that you're getting good doctor advice when you have that surface understanding. I think you're exactly right, which Dr. Cruz is the entire reason that we're sitting here is because I've not settled for any of the answers that I've gotten. I, I want to understand why. I want to understand and apply. That, I think that's the other thing. Understanding is one thing. If you don't apply it, it doesn't really matter. And so that that led me to you and because prior, prior to me coming across your work, I had been uh, communicating with uh, Dr. Russell Ryder and trying to understand melatonin and this connection because, you know, there's a lot of studies out there that show that it has been used successfully with, with cancers and a lot, a lot of other metabolic type diseases, but that's with the supplemental. So can you help me understand on both extremes, because I've heard you say, you know, not to use supplemental melatonin. Yeah. I think that's probably for a relatively healthy person. Uh, but for somebody that's sick or facing cancer, like, is is that something that could be used as a tool? Yeah, it can be used as a tool. But again, this is where the context is important. So let me give you the context so you understand where I'm coming from. I've already told you that broken apoptosis and melatonin are linked, and melatonin is made in mitochondria. To get rid of bad engines, that's exactly what apoptosis does. That's the basis. But I'm going to tell you a story about Sir John Attenborough that you need to, or Attenborough, that you need to remember. Um, 
everything in biology is coupled cycle. Okay. It's positive and negative. So you probably heard many of my podcasts where I talk about light and dark are the key basis of the decentralized network. Well, it turns out melatonin also works on this coupled cycle idea. And the idea is um, this is predator and this is prey. So I want you to think about melatonin as the predator. Okay. The YouTube video that you should watch after you finish this podcast with me uh, is when we took the wolf out of the uh, Yellowstone National Park. The ultimate thing when you watch the two minute and 14 uh, minute video on YouTube is just by taking the predator out of Yellowstone, change the direction of the rivers in Yellowstone. That on its surface, when you hear the leap that I just made for you sounds crazy. But when you actually see actually how the asymmetric non-collateral things happen, then you begin to go, this is incredible. And when they added the wolf back in, guess what happened? Everything self-corrected. In other words, you didn't need, you know, big pharma chemotherapy or a caterpillar coming in and changing the rivers back. You didn't need any of that. Nature self-corrected because it works on thermodynamic principles. Turns out cancer is the same way. So what am I saying to you? Since your body makes melatonin and you take it exogenously, what do you think happens in the body? You downregulate the endogenous production. So is it a good idea to use long-term? No, because it leads to problems, okay? So I wrote a, a piece that you'd probably be interested in. It was on LinkedIn. I think it was in 2018. Why have our kids become melatonin junkies? Like every kid is on melatonin from the pediatricians because of guys like you just mentioned. He's like, oh, it's so great. The problem is it's so great because he's myopic. He doesn't understand the long-term effects of what this problem can cause. And what does this lead to? Even more mitochondrial diseases. And remember, my job is not to take care of people for two or three months. It's to give them advice over their life to stay away from my profession. So the key is when your body makes something, anything you take exogenously, this is where my real problem with Dave Asprey comes. He has, he has sold millions of dollars worth of shit that downregulate endogenous systems. And he, and remember, he has no tie to the consequence. And in that way, he's a lot like a, a big pharma uh, vaccine. He has immunity almost you know, from um, legal ramifications. Like there's no way you would know that taking endogenous glutathione destroys glutathione production in the liver. But when you look up papers on it, in fact, I just did a podcast with a doctor named Dr. Ochozo because um, we talked about that in the Philippines. Filipino women inject glutathione in their, their skin or their face to get rid of the melanin. Think about what I just told you about your son, that he needs melanin in this part of his body. So when you square all these things, remember it's your job as the CEO of you and your son to parse out this due diligence. You need to take what Uncle Jack says, and I'm telling you question everything that I'm telling you, okay? But when you find out and you do the due diligence and you find out that what Jack's saying is true, then you're gonna to begin to realize why when I'm on social media, remember when I'm on social media, I'm doing a podcast. You're not my patient. So I'm not going to tell you 
how I would specifically use this in your son for Wilms tumor if he was my patient. Why? Because that's practicing medicine on the internet. The, the answer you're going to get from me then and the answer you're going to get from me on a podcast, radically different. Why? I didn't build that system. They built the system. And trust me, for the last 10 years, they've tried to come after me because of this. But I'm very careful in what I do and what I say. And because I have to be. And the key is when you realize that people in functional medicine, chiropractors, naturopathic doctors, all these things that we just talked about, they're doing the same thing that Dave Asprey does. In fact, all of those people get on my profession, like for giving statin prescriptions. And they don't realize when you're giving people, you know, glutathione or you name, let's say melatonin, you're performing the exact same, uh, same kind of shit coinery uh, on that patient's health. And the problem is you don't know the consequences because the people that are selling, it's just like the people right now that are saying mea culpa about COVID. Oh, well, we didn't know. It was new. That, that, that's what you call denial, deniable plausibility. And I want to say this to you so you really understand and link this bow back to what I just said to Bobby Kennedy and, and Rick. What's the difference between fact and fiction? Fiction has to make sense for you to buy it, but the truth doesn't. And that's the reason why they came up with the idea of conspiracy theory. Because remember, what the government figured out through the DOD, CIA, and FBI, um, through some of their programs that they ran, specifically MK Ultra, Operation Paperclub, <clears throat> that if you take out key parts of the data, you can actually gain yourself deniable plausibility. Like no one has ever figured this out. And what did they do specific to this, the story you and I are talking about? None of this SV40 stuff ever showed up in the literature. That's the reason why Kevin McKiernan and Philip Buchholz can't answer some of the questions that actually guys like you would have about your son. And the thing is, um, I happen to know the story before Fort Detrick. Bobby is an expert on what happened from Fort Detrick forward to 2023. But it turns out the real part of the story, the part of the story that you're the most interested in, the reason that you believe that the food is the big driver and the reason I don't has to do with that story that happened pre-Fort Detrick. And therein lies the big ticket. And when you add on all the other layers of the onion, like the Doug Wallace piece, the mitochondria piece, the biophoton piece, you begin to see this is a very complex game we're playing. But remember, it's just like a casino. The centralized paradigm of healthcare for cancer is like a casino. They're keeping you in a black room with one-armed bandits emitting blue light all around you. And what did I tell you that you need to be careful with your son? That environment for him is the thing that puts him at the greatest risk. That's it. And in other words, when you have that kind of environment, just to, to circle back to the wolves, when you get blue light through your eyes, remember I told you that when you took the wolves out, it changes the rivers? What if I was to tell you in 2017, I gave a talk to 500 ophthalmologists that said, when you put blue light through someone's eyes, you change the rivers called the ophthalmic artery in the retina. 
where the leptin melanocortin pathway is and blocks it from doing the things signaling. Don't you think that would affect the SCN where circadian biology is? Don't you think that would affect the hypothalamus? Don't you think that would affect the splanchnic nerves that go to the kidney that potentially could lead to a Wilms tumor? Did I just explain to you maybe how transgenerational epigenetics from your sperm and your wife's egg, potentially, this could have happened through the use of technology? The answer is yes. But guess what? Absolutely. Not going to hear that from anybody else because they can't sit down with you and explain to you how this happened, especially during a copay with an oncologist. Why? A, they don't know the science. B, they haven't read the science that actually links to this story. And I keep telling everybody, just like I told you, the single number one paper for you to be go down this rabbit hole is that onion root experiment. Yep. No, I'm going to, I'm going to check that out. I, I, one, one thing that I have become increasingly frustrated with was the uh, answers to my questions. And I have plenty of them um, from the medical, you know, establishment and the fact that, you know, that nothing really matters. Like there's like no variable outside of uh, chemo, radiation, surgery that have any bearing. And it. it's very frustrating. One, mm -hmm. I talked to Lander and now granted he's nine about uh, this and I've been have especially after talking to you, making it a top priority to be outside in the sun without uh, a shirt on. He wanted to ask you, can, because we're in Arkansas, you know, definitely a temperature variations here. Can a tanning bed be good in this context? Yeah, I would tell, I would tell him that it could, but you have to know exactly how to use it. That context, again, gets to practicing medicine on the internet. So sure. you have to know specifically how you're doing it. So I'm going to give you an example. I'm going to show you something. So I'm in my house in El Salvador right now. You're in your house in Arkansas. So you can see behind me, but I want to show you something really cool. There's no walls. There's no the doors walls. are wide open. So in other words, the sun right over there, those are the volcanoes. There's no towers. You don't see any towers over there. There's no walls in this house. Everything is wide open to the outside. Remember today, I would say it's probably 85 degrees, but you don't see me sweating. Pacific Ocean is right out my window here. The doors open up. The wind comes through. What am I trying to tell your son? Yeah, if you want to keep doing doing it the Juve way, the Dave Asprey way, the man-made artificial light way so you can live in Arkansas, you can do that. But you know what you're doing? You're rolling the dice. And you know what? Your son as a nine-year-old has another 70, 80 years. How, how good do you think your son's going to be rolling the dice for 70, 80 years with his history. So guess what I'm going to tell him? Think differently. Live like an outside mammal. Why? Because even when it gets cold in Arkansas, and trust me, I know that it gets cold in Arkansas. I used to live in Nashville, so I know what the deal is. Remember that cooling, and this again goes to what I said to Uberman and Rick in Tetragrammaton 1 and 2. When you're in cold environment, you actually create UV light inside of you that actually makes the melatonin. So guess what? There is a benefit. This is the thing that people in the south part of the United States don't understand. They never embrace the cold the way they should. A guy like you is going to put on your car hat, 
crap and you know your big heavy uh stuff when it gets down to 30 or 35 or you know in the 20s but i want your son to run outside in his shorts with no shoes on when that happens and i don't want you and your wife telling him he's going to get pneumonia because your son is doing something to help himself in other words i want you to teach your son to be a wilded human. Okay. That's really what I think he needs. And I think he can even make it at a high latitude as a young child, because remember where his heteroplasmy is really high may just turn out to be his kidney. It doesn't mean that, you know, he's got this problem in other parts of his body. He's still a nine year old kid. So he may have low heteroplasmy there, but you're only as strong as your weakest link that I, and I think your family knows that better than anybody else. So you really don't want that cancer to come back. So your focus needs to be in on that kidney and the biophysics that are around this and understanding what apoptosis and UV light do. And you know where you are right now, your latitude, you're not making enough UV light this time of the year in in mid-November. And you're not going to make it probably until March, maybe April. So for you, for your son, those are decisions that he's going to have to make. Okay, well, where should I go to school? Should I go to school at high latitude? Should I go at low latitude? Uh, these are all big decisions that he has to make. And these things will change depending on how he does. If the tumor comes back, if he has any scares, or if you know something shows up on an MRI scan or a PET scan, those you don't know how that's going to be. But as long as he understands the basics of what you and I talked about today, and he eats a diet that is made by the sun at the location that he's at that's not impacted by the industrial agricultural complex, that's all he needs to do with food. That's it. But he really needs to embrace the environment. He needs to embrace the sun. And when it is cold out, go out and run around like a wild man. Well, the... uh food you just talked about is the food system that I'm trying to create. And I love the environment context. I think that is such a valuable lesson that I, I'm, I've got four kids. He just, ha- he's my oldest. Uh, and we, it's outside. It's, it's running barefoot. And so thank you for giving me that, you know, the science and the reasons behind it. Uh, because, you know, as a parent, I, Dr. Cruz, I'm pretty messed up over it. Uh, I, I can't turn off my obsession with trying to figure out answers on how to make sure that my my son and the rest of the kids are good. And but so I don't, turn, I don't want you to turn off your obsession. To be honest with you, it's a pleasure talking to somebody like you because you want to know the truth. Most of the people that I talk to, even some of the people that pay me money, my members, they're apathetic about this stuff. They don't want they don't want to know. They always tell me, can you dumb it down? You haven't said that to me once. And the, the, the reason that I appreciate it is you are a good shepherd for your family. You're trying to figure out what it is that you can do to not only make it good for the oldest, but also make it good for the rest of those little silly talking monkeys in your house. I think it's absolutely commendable what you're trying to do. And the, the thing is, and I always tell people this when I do a podcast, um, you're creating, you know, for the audience, there's going to be somebody who listens to this that's impacted by this. Even if it's one person or two people, that's all that matters. 
And I always tell people, when you learn something from me that you didn't learn the only or you didn't know, your duty to me is to share that with somebody else. That's it. Love it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your wisdom. The kind words uh, means a lot. Thank you for joining us on Sewing Prosperity. Be sure to follow along across the social media platforms, including YouTube, and be sure to go to sewingprosperity.com.